I have done something terrible. I think it all started before they went and left me. I worked as an assistant in a German underground corporation that developed, shall I say, alternative solutions to modern problems. Basically, if you had enough money and you were sick, you could pay to get the biggest brain in the country to take care of you. We've had our fair shares of cancer treatment, body swapping, spine transplants, and whatnot. People in a wheelchair could suddenly walk again. I'm not saying we did miracles. No, far from that, in fact. I'm more than confident that the parts we were getting were not ethically sourced, but that wasn't my job to know. My job wasn't even on the medical side of our facility. It was in the development of solutions such as cloning and body swapping. A little over 20 years ago, you might have heard of the cloning of a lamb, and then a cow, and then a series of other animals. We were already developing our solution to clone humans by then, and had successfully incubated babies in our lab-made uteruses. Parents who couldn't conceive by themselves and didn't like the idea of a surrogate were elated, but so were we, knowing that we pretty much opened Pandora's box of human enhancement. If we could clone babies, nothing stopped us from creating super soldiers and learning more about mind control. You see where I'm going with this? Those are the very things that were studied and developed between our walls. I was but a worker ant in the burrow, working in one chamber of many. The corporation is international and underground, financed by both governments and billionaires. I think it should be said that I'm not a good guy. The work I was doing with cloning was far from ethical. I didn't care at the time because it brought home the most important thing in our capitalistic world. Money. And a hell of a lot of it. I could spoil my wife and kids more than I ever had. And I never regretted working in that field for a single moment. That is, of course, until recently. You see, in the past few years, our expertise soared, thanks to the new head of genetic engineering. The man discovered a way to keep more than just DNA, but something called cell memory. In other words, cloning was no longer just the question of making babies and letting them grow. By creating entirely artificial and customizable human bodies and implanting the DNA of someone in that body, you could clone someone till the exact moment this DNA was taken. Now, for security reasons, every employee in their family had to provide samples of that DNA. I've seen it done. People disappearing and suddenly reappearing as another... There was a missing scar here, the wrong eye color there, but all the memories they had was placed in a hyper-realistic mannequin. It would be hard to put it into words, but I was the man who assisted in creating those hyper-realistic bodies. And by assisting, I mean I'm the one who built them. I could replicate every skin, hair, 
nerve ending, vein, organ, muscle, and every little thing that composes a human body. Making a body takes a lot of time, especially an adult one. I'd say around six months to get the anatomy right, three more months to assemble. But I've given birth to over 15 bodies in the last 10 years and have never felt bad about it. Well, to say I've given birth to them is a... Well, it's a bit of an exaggeration. I'm not the one who implanted the DNA in those bodies, but I'm the one that carefully monitored their growth as they were kept in a medically induced coma, waiting to become the receivers of new DNA. We had about ten bodies left in a highly secured room. You see, these bodies don't go for cheap. Even with my impressive salary... I could never afford even one in a lifetime. And so, when I had to figure out how to pay for three, I decided I was going to steal them. After assisting the genetic engineer for over a decade, I was convinced I could do it too. I knew everything there was to know about the human body. How bad could it be to implant the DNA in it? My wife was going over to her mother in France for the holidays. I was supposed to join them there later, as I had a few things to finish at work. But the news of their plane crashing devastated me, and it took me a few weeks before I could go back to work. And by then, I'd already made my decision of stealing the bodies I had built and leaving the country. I paid a guy who got me new papers and a new identity for my entire family and me. Once I had every document in order, I was ready. I took all my money out of my accounts and opened another in an offshore bank tax haven. I stole the bodies and my family's DNA, and I never looked back. I had an old friend in Brazil who had a lab and allowed me to use it for good money. Nine months later, I was finally reunited with my family. My wife was a bit younger than me, by over 10 years, since that's the DNA that I had, and my children were toddlers again. But I was the happiest man in the world. I'd been separated from them for almost a year, so when my wife woke up, I felt like a new man. I said I'd given birth to bodies before, but it was the first time I felt something while doing it. I was proud, I was relieved, I was terrified and excited all at once. I had to feed them all the story about the plane crash and why they would never see the family again. But I had them. I could wrap my arms around their bodies and embrace them. It was the only thing that mattered to me. But things weren't perfect. It took my wife over a week to eat something. I was afraid I'd lose her again. But she finally took a bite of her favorite meal, linguine carbonara. She didn't eat much and excused herself early, but it was the beginning. The kids were easier. Peanut butter sandwiches were always Alex's favorite. And she ate that stuff straight out of the coma. For about a month, I was the happiest man on earth. I feared not about the corporation coming after me. I'd erased all traces of myself as if I'd never existed, and I monitored my family carefully for any changes. 
The kids seemed fine. Then again, they were back to being three and five, an age when thinking isn't a priority. It seemed harder on my wife, though. For example, she noticed things were missing, like the birthmark on her thigh and the mole on her cheek. When I rebuilt her from the body I'd stolen, I decided to take them out because she always complained about them. If I was going to bring her back, I was going to make her the most beautiful woman in her own eyes. After a month, I noticed she still wasn't eating much. She looked anxious and paranoid. I surprised her when she was talking to herself in the room. I couldn't quite hear what she was whispering. When I asked her if she was okay, she smiled sweetly and said that she was just a little tired, but not to worry. And then it all started going downhill. I woke up one night to her screaming in pain. Her body was glistening with sweat, and she had the worst fever I'd seen in my life, close to 105 degrees. I had to do something to lower her temperature quickly, so I plunged her into a lukewarm bath and started sponging her. She was sick all over the place and eventually passed out, but she stabilized. I plugged her on a medical bed and gave her medicine, hoping for the best. She woke up the next day feeling better, but her skin was still a little pale. I brought her soup. She took a few sips, but mostly just to make me happy, I believe. As I saw my children worry for their mother, I wondered what I'd done wrong with her. Kids were doing just fine, and I did everything I remembered the genetic engineer doing. So why was my wife acting so weird and being so sick? I didn't know what else to do, so I tried to break into the corporation files to see if I missed something. I was no hacker, but I was banking on the fact they hadn't gotten rid of my employee's passcode yet. They had, unfortunately. I looked at my bank account and contacted a few people, trying to find a hacker that could potentially get me the information I was looking for. It would take a big chunk out of my savings, but he could get me where I wanted. A week passed before I had news from the guy, and the file was transferred directly into my PC. Unfortunately, I'd paid a good amount of money for nothing. I had done right at every step of the way. The only thing was a note at the bottom of the page, handwritten and scanned that said some of the older bodies could reject the DNA transplant. A bit like someone receiving the wrong organ. However, after more than six weeks in that new body, I thought the symptoms would be worse in a case of rejection. Now maybe I was putting a veil on my face and didn't want to see it, but she made me see it. About four days after reading the documents, I woke up to my wife reading a book, looking peaceful and serene, while being covered in blood. I panicked and asked her if she was okay, touching her all over and checking for cuts or anything. But she was so calm, if only a little pale still. That's when I realized that the blood wasn't hers. My heart sank in my chest the same way the plane did when I lost them. I asked her where the blood came from, 
She looked a little annoyed as she raised her eyes from her book and told me that Jonathan peed to bed and didn't stop crying. I ran out of our room to our babies and I saw the bed covered in blood and my baby boy laying face down on the floor next to it. I don't know how she did it, but nothing was left of his face when I turned the body around. I held the corpse of my baby to my chest, feeling pangs of guilt for the first time in my life. I had brought him back only to meet a demise even crueler than the one he had suffered before, and my body was racked with sobs when my wife entered the room, but it quickly came to a stop when she said, You're crying too? I swallowed my pain, and the stupor froze me in place. Was she going to kill me? I saw her roll her eyes. Then she said that I didn't need to cry since it wasn't even him anyway. He's just a fake. I asked her to explain what she meant, and she shrugged her shoulders. And before my little girl would wake up, I made sure to take Jonathan outside and bury him. I forced my wife to take a bed and prepared a story about how Jonathan wouldn't be with us anymore. Alex looked sad for all of ten seconds before asking if she could have his toys. She was five years old, I couldn't blame her, and she probably didn't understand what it meant, at least not entirely. Now that night, my wife broke out in a fever again, and she screamed at me to get it out, but I had no idea what she meant. She started clawing at her face and tearing away at the synthetic skin, making herself bleed so much I had to physically restrain her while also working on getting her fever down. But she kept screaming, and she was so loud, and I was angry that she had killed our boy. Her body was rejecting her DNA, her memories, hers. That mannequin I built was not compatible with her. But unlike an organ that the immune system can attack, there is nothing specific to attack in the case of DNA. So it struck the most important thing in the body. The engine. The thing that makes it all work. The brain. My wife was losing it, and though the symptoms took time to surface, I couldn't deny them anymore. I screamed at her to stop screaming, but she wouldn't. Even with her arms restrained, she tried to bite me. Then she had a seizure and passed out in the bath. I took five minutes outside the house to get some fresh air when she started screaming again. I said a little prayer and readied myself. I had to walk back into the house and take care of her before she took care of our daughter. I couldn't lose them all again. As I stepped into the house, they went silent. I had to pass through the kitchen to get to the staircase leading to the second floor in the bathroom. I noticed one of the kitchen island drawers was open from the corner of my eyes. I rushed to the bathroom, only to find my little girl pulling a knife out of her mom's left eye socket. The world started to spin around me, and I had to hold myself against the doorframe not to fall. 
I still slid down slowly and walked on my knees to my daughter. I had no words. I didn't need to ask her what she had done. I knew what she did. I held her in my arms and sobbed as she said mommy kept screaming, but that it was okay now because she stopped. I swallowed back whatever I wanted to say, my body quaking as I took the knife out of her delicate little hand. I dropped it on the bathroom counter and raised her up, saying it was still way too early for her to be awake and that I was going to bring her back to bed. She chuckled lightly, and I saw her dimples again. I kissed her nose butterfly style as I walked upstairs to the bedroom. I laid her down in bed and stared at her perfectly curled brown hair and mischievous little grin. This tore me apart. I waited for her to fall asleep, and then I put a pillow over her face. I lost them again, but it was so much worse this time because it was all my fault. I left the country to establish myself in Canada this time. I live in a small town in Alberta, where I'm pretty much only living off what's left in my bank accounts. I'm a coward that doesn't dare to join them, so I'm wasting away, waiting for God to call me. But he's making me wait, punishing me for taking a shot at being him.